As I mentioned, we are beginning uh, this new sermon series on seeking God's will, on that kind of Christian discernment that is so essential to our lives in God. And so in this day, we turn uh, to the story of King David to help us think about this idea of seeking God's will. I'm reading from 2 Samuel chapter 7 and beginning at verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God, You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. May this be instruction for the people, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have wrought all this greatness so that your servant may know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is no one like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. David. We find ourselves in the middle of uh, Samuel, in the middle of the narrative about David, and now he is ascended to the throne. He is the king. And in the passages that precede what we've read, David has consulted with God, sought God's will. God said, you know, go out and uh, battle against the Philistines and recover the Ark of the Covenant. Now remember, the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God is among among the people, and under Saul and some bad priests, it got taken away, taken captive by the Philistines. So David has just had this great victory, uh, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. You'll remember David is dancing and celebrating as he's bringing it back. And as soon as the celebrations are done, David is going to turn his attention again to God. We find here that David is opening himself and he is praying to God. He is praying thanksgiving for what God has just done, that God has fulfilled God's will through David in bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. And now David has decided that the best thing to do would be to build a house for God, to build a place for the Ark, to build the temple. And God's answer is, no, David, mm -mm. Uh, I'm going to have your son Solomon do that. That's not my will for you. You see, David is always, in every step of his journey, seeking God's will for what he should be doing in his life and on behalf of his people. David is known as the greatest king of Israel. But, but he's not known for being a great king because he's a great political leader, though he is that. He's not known because he's a great military leader, though he is that. 
David isn't the greatest king because he has this really solid character, with that one exception of the whole Bathsheba-Uriah thing. We'll set that aside. The reason that David is the greatest king of Israel is that he always turns his heart to God. That David is always seeking the will of God before he does anything. It is the fact that he is steeped in prayer, that his whole life is a prayer to God. That is what makes David the greatest king of Israel. And it says to us, of course, that any discernment, any seeking of God's will has to begin in this depths of prayer, in what Paul would call that praying without ceasing, that we are constantly asking of God if it is within God's will what we intend to do or, or when we're faced with any kind of situation, small or large, we begin with that sense of prayer and not just in this talking to God, but especially in this listening, being still enough to hear God's response to us. And so, with this idea of, of the prayer life put before us, and this story of David, the idea of how we go about seeking the will of God begins to unfold. And the first thing that becomes very clear in this David story is that there are those immediate moments when we seek God's will, those, those times when we're pondering a new job or when we're not sure what direction to go or when we're in need of something, when we're on the horns of dilemma, right in front of us we seek God's will. But there is always this ultimate will of God, this greater will of God that lies down the road. That's why David says, I know we haven't gotten there yet. We know, I know your promises are yet to come because we have this ultimate will of God that we as God's people should be healed and made whole. That's what we think of as salvation, that we should have eternal life that we should arrive at the promised land. There is a will of God that sort of overarches everything else, and every step along the way should be leading us closer to that ultimate will of God. They're not discrete, disconnected moments of discernment. They're all trying to lead us closer to God's heart and to the destination. So uh, I was thinking about how uh, about three and a half years ago, you know, I had this discernment that I should uh, start pastoring part-time, and the district superintendents agreed with that discernment, and then they said, you know, there are three churches, this one, this one, village, and my immediate discernment, my immediate sense was village. I didn't have to go do research or go away and think about it. I, I responded immediately, village, because I just felt that that's where God wanted me to be. And, you know, as much as I appreciate uh, the times you, you thank me and you show your appreciation for, your minist for my ministry among you, and, and I really do appreciate that. I mean, uh, uh, part of it is that as I do God's will, as I'm where I'm 
uh, supposed to be. I myself am growing closer to the heart of God. I myself am becoming more of the person that God has made me to be. That whenever we're discerning God's will, we're always drawing a little bit nearer to that destination, to that ultimate will of God in our lives for that kind of healing and wholeness to be the person that God has created each of us to be. But that leads me into this second point that is, is really something to think about, that so often when we're talking about this kind of discernment of God's will, we're thinking about me. God, what, what do you want for me? Where do you want me to go? What decision do you want me to make? And yet the Bible really doesn't know anything about me. David doesn't really know anything about me. David is always thinking about all the relationships that he has and all what he is to do for others. You see, the, the, the Christian faith, the Christian life, is always about all these relationships that we're a part of. It's about being salt and light in the world. It's about mutually upbuilding one another. And so, whenever I am seeking the will of God, there's always a piece about, is it going to be to the good of the relationships you have? Is it, is it for the good of your community of faith? Is it for the good of your family? Is it for the good of your friends and the place where you work in your neighborhood? Is it just about you or is there a greater good as I'm seeking the will of God? I, this uh, past week, had the opportunity to uh, watch a lecture by Ron uh, Rollheiser, the, the spiritual writer. And he was talking about the community of faith, and he was uh, using that metaphor of Paul, that idea of Paul, that we are one uh, organic body, right? That we are a physical body in the sense uh, of uh, we need all the gifts and graces, all the contributions of each and every person to make that whole, so that, you know, we say uh, that the hand can't say to the toe, I have no need of you, or, or the heart can't say to the stomach, I don't need you. We need every piece of the body healthy and functioning together. You know this, you know, if you have an infection in your foot, your whole body is off kilter. Or if your back is bothering you, you're, you're not, your whole body is not healthy. And so, Rollheiser says this, you know, each of us is either a healthy enzyme promoting the health of the body or we're a virus within it. And we should be asking ourselves, am I, am I a healthy enzyme promoting life and well-being or, or am I a virus? Now, I think, I think the truth is that most of the time we're, we're pretty much healthy yeah, enzymes, but we all have a little bit of virus that gets in there. And that's when we need to pay attention because it's not the will of God that we should be a virus in the community, even if it feels like it's good for us. To be in Christ is to be that healthy enzyme, uh, mutually upbuilding, making others better, healthier, more alive. So the will of God is always tied up, not just with me, but with all the relationships that I have because I follow Christ. And, and relationship is at the heart of the faith. 
Now, knowing that, then I come to yet a third thing that I think uh, David's story tells us really clearly about seeking God's will. And it's this. So often, we human beings say, well, the ends justify the means. So often, we human beings say, Well, if I do this, it might not be the best thing, but the outcome ultimately will be really good. God doesn't know anything about the ends justify the means. The means themselves are important in the eyes of God. When we're seeking God's will, if we're going to, you know, lie a little or steal a little, but it's going to get us to uh, a positive end, that the, the means are not right. The steps along the journey have to be consistent with God's will and the heart of God's will. So, you know, David more than once when he is uh, living under King Saul, who, if you've studied the scriptures, you know Saul is a little bit off. Uh, He doesn't consult God. He's not a very good king. And there are two occasions when David easily could have gotten rid of Saul, could have done Saul in. Now, the, the, the end would have been good. David would have been king, and David was a way better king than Saul ever dreamed of being. But the, but the means that getting rid of Saul would not contribute to the good and proper end of what God wants. This kind of justification is really a human thing. When there's something we want to do or we think is right, uh, we'll use God's name to say, well, it's okay that the ends justify the means. So think about for how long there were Indian boarding schools. And the phrase that was used was, kill the Indian but save the man. In other words, if we, if we basically imprison these kids and try and turn them into, you know, English, European ways of living, even if they die in the process but they've gotten closer to, to Christ, it's okay. The end justifies the means. But, but you can't bend the Ten Commandments for the sake of the ends. The Ten Commandments hold no matter what. I also, I I read this story about a a contemporary Christian, and this man and his wife had been evangelized by this church. And in these conversations that they had had with uh, people from the church, they felt so loved, they felt so uh, welcomed and so on, uh, that once they joined the church, the man said, you know, I'm going to get on that evangelism team. I want more people to feel this kind of love only to discover it was a script they memorized. And they felt in the church, well, it was a means to an end. You say these specific things to get them in the church. And he said, it's manipulative, and I walked away from the church. A good end does not justify a bad means. We don't twist and turn. We don't say the Ten Commandments, well, we don't need to follow them because the end is going to be a good one. No, every step of the journey has to conform to the will of God. Every decision and move we make is to conform to the will of God. And if it is not 
seeming justified in its goodness, then it isn't the will of God. It's our will. Which brings me to the last thing. So often when we are seeking God's will, we'll pray and pray, God, show me, tell me what you want. I want to know which, which way to go. What do you want from me, God? And so suppose, you know, suppose we're a teacher and we have uh, two schools that have offered us jobs and we want to know which one does God want me to take. Please, God, I need to know from you which way should I go. Sometimes God is a little bit like Yogi Berra, not Bear, Berra who said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Sometimes God says, school, school, they're good choices, pick one and go. You know, we want God to say, this one's right and this one's wrong, but a lot of times God's saying, those are both good choices. If this ministry in the church or that one, God says, pick. You come to a fork in the road, take it. Which one do you want to go down? If it's consistent with my love, my way, it's good. This one or that one will lead you closer to the heart of the living God and that ultimate destination. You know, so often we as human beings don't arrive at that perfect clarity that we want. And I think that's part of the life of faith, is this idea that when we don't have absolute clarity, we still, we step out. We step out asking, is it consistent with this ultimate will of God? We ask, is it a building to the larger community and to the relationships I have. We ask, are the means to the end, are they good? Are they consistent with what God wants? But sometimes the absolute clarity just isn't there. And it reminds me of uh, Thomas Merton in his Thoughts in Solitude, which I've had in, taped in my Bible for literally decades. And Merton says, my Lord God, which sounds like David, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually following it. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, you. And so when all is said and done, we come to this deepest discernment, do I desire above all else to do the will of God? Because ultimately, no matter the choices we make, if our heart desires nothing more than God, our discernment will be right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.